Um, so we are going to be in Exodus chapter 25 tonight. That's going to be uh, primarily what we're working out of. And uh, we're going to see uh, as a connection uh, to what we have already heard from uh, the, you know, many pastors that have spoken through Exodus is that we are seeing that Christ, or sorry, God rather, has moved his people to the desert. And he's moved to the people to the desert for a reason. And that reason is to teach them how to prepare for the presence of God. And uh, the first lesson is going to start today. And so we can recap from what Pastor Ryan talked about last night. You can see there's a lot of foreshadowing in the book of Exodus that, plays, that takes place in, in New Testament. So you can see that the Bible isn't just different. There isn't an Old Testament and then a New Testament. There is one long story of God's plan for all of us. And it starts here in this place where God announces what he wants from his people. And we have to be thinking about that when we enter into a relationship with God. It's not just what can I get out of it, what does God want out of it? And so that's one of the conversations that we're seeing. Pastor Ryan did a great job of connecting and seeing how through the Ten Commandments, we saw the altar and the sacrifices, that that was the foreshadowing, that there would have to be a death. There would have to be the sprinkling of blood to pay for our sins. And so we are going to move on from that point, and we're going to look at something different. We're going to read through Exodus uh, 25, 1 through 9. And we're going to read through that. We'll pray, and then we'll begin. Listen. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering from me from everyone who, whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins, dyed red, and another type of durable leather, uh, acacia, olive oil for the light, uh, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Let's pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this passage. Show us through this exactly what you want us to see. Preach to us out of your word of the, the super awesome plan that you have for us to connect with you, to meet with you, to be close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I kind of found this interesting when reading this. Um, just so you guys know, if you ever want to know what a pastor does in the week, I actually read through the passage about three or four times before I even start to write. And I was like, Lord, I, I ain't seen it. So just so you know, I'm going to be real. I was like, what, what even is this? Is this like a honey-do list to go to Home Depot in ancient Israel? And like, this is what we're going to do? But then the Lord kind of put something on my heart is that there was more importantly, the heart of God on display here. And he has stayed on mission. Let me give you this uh, verse from David in Psalm chapter 15. He said, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? And so you can see that David is asking this, who wants to actually be prepared for this? Just think about this. We are sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai. The Lord is on the top of the mountain. There is a cloud of smoke. There's all this kind of theatrical lighting and, 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 and it's like loud thunder and trumpets. And the people are like, I can't even handle it. I, I can't even handle the noise. I hear God speaking. Make God stop talking because it's rattling me to my core. Just talk to Moses and then deliver the message to me. And so David is now echoing this in the book of Psalm, and he's saying, who, who's even ready for this? Who's, who even wants this? Because it's frightening, but there's also kind of like a magnetism to it. This is the person that I've been created for. 
And even though I'm frightened, even though I don't feel prepared today, I'm so drawn to him. I know that this is the conversation that we're starting to have. How do I become ready for him? And so you have to ask yourself this, this question and to think about King David, everything he's been through in his life. Do you want to be with God? It's a wild conversation to have with yourself, isn't it? Just like David in, in, in the book of Psalm. And what are you doing for that preparation? What are you doing for that preparation? So if the answer is yes, you have to say that God is going to be in his commitment fully to you, as you can see through the book of Exodus, that he is going to prepare you. And I just want to let you know there's a strong uh, case that God is making is that we have a group of people who don't really know God. They've been rescued by God. They've seen him throw plagues at the, at the nation of Egypt, right? They saw him break down the Pharaoh who was, for all intents and purposes, for the world at the time, they looked at him as a living God. God showed up, dominated him, moved his people out, and then you know, Pharaoh came up behind and God was like, well, let me just drown you right after that. I'll lead you through the Red Sea. I'll part the Red Sea. I'll get my people on dry land. I'll get them on the other side. And they turned and said, God, he's still coming. This guy's still coming. He's like, God's like, don't worry about it. He's done. And we're moving on. We're moving on. Thinking, but God, I'm hungry. Quail and manna. Everything that you need, I have water out of a rock. I'll get it for you. So everything God's doing, but what God's doing now is I want to, want to show you, and I don't want you to misunderstand me, you don't know how to worship me. You don't even know who I am really and you don't know how to spend time with me. So you know what? Because I have a heart for you and I love you and I want to be with you, let me show you how to do this. And this is the beginning of this. So this particular scripture and this part of the series is very strong on first how to be in the presence of God and then also how to worship the Lord. Pastor Craig is very famous for saying this line and I love it so I'm stealing it. Um, it is heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. God will move you there, but you will be prepared. Um, I don't know if you're like me. You, I'm a movie file. You guys know I love the movies. I can't get enough of the movies. I love foreign movies, and I love period pieces because I always love when, uh, the, like, you see somebody in, like, this period piece, like medieval times. They bring somebody to the king's castle, and it's like a peasant, right? And they, they the, you know, the guy's, like, got to deliver a message to the king, or he has something important to tell the king, but he's just a peasant. And, like, everybody that gets in between him and the king kind of looks the guy up and down and goes, this, you're gross. You're not ready. And so what do they do? They're like, before, he's like, I got to tell the king, first, we're going to give you a bath. Second, we're going to put you in clothes that are worthy to be in the presence of the king. Right now, you stink, you smell, but you don't even look good. So we're going to give you a bath. We're going to make you look good. And then we're going to feed you. And then we're going to bring you into the presence of the king. Because then at that point, you will be worthy. And that's what we're talking about today is that preparation. So God has been preparing us. And what has he been preparing us for? Well, God has not changed his mission through the whole thing. So we're going to look at the end of Exodus. Look on the screen. It says, have them construct a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furniture. So shall you construct it. So God is doing one of two things here. Just so you guys can understand. He's saying, I want to be with you, but I have to prepare you for my presence because you're not ready. So much so that, remember, when the people are at the bottom of the Mount of Sinai, they just heard a horn of the Lord and they freaked out. They heard the voice of the Lord and they freaked out. Imagine seeing the face of God. They're not ready, but God wants to be with them. So how do we fix this problem? He's like, let's build a tabernacle. And how do I build a tabernacle? There's two things happening in that verse. He's going, let me show you the tabernacle in heaven. There's already one. There's a model. The tabernacle you're building is the second one. So you're going to see how I like to do life in, in person, face to face, in heaven, but we're going to start here on earth. 
Why? Because I want you to know that I'm, I am a, a person of relationship. So he's showing you this is what the start is, the tabernacle on earth, but the end goal is where we're going, where you're going to hang out with me forever. Now look at the next verse. Jesus was on brand as well. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Mind you, that word dwelling is very intimate. That word dwelling is like, hey, I'm moving in. By the way, I'm getting um, all of my mail sent here, and I like breakfast at 8 a.m. That's what that word dwelling means. Dwelling means we're going to do life together. So look what it says. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He wasn't just stopping in. He was coming to be with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So we're seeing the second part of that preparation. This is what it's going to look like. I need to show you. We're going to do tabernacle here on earth and in heaven. It's the same. Also too, before I get you going, I got to cover you in grace and truth. I will send my son who is the living image of me. Why? Because I want you to know I want to be with you. I want to remove any excuse that you have not to come to me because I will come to you and tell you that if you think that you're not worthy, you're not, but I will cover you in grace. And if you think that I don't love you, that's not true. I will die on the cross for you. I will cover you in truth. You have been redeemed and restored. I want to be with you. And then look at the final revelation, chapter 21, verse 3. And it says here on the screen, I heard a loud voice from the, th the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he be their God. Just think about that. The end goal is for us to live in the same place as God and do life every day. And the Lord tells you, I take my breakfast at 8 a.m. Right? You know, he's like, he's like, look, we're going to be doing life. So God has been consistent throughout the entire Bible. I want to be with you. And that is not only his promise. He's just showed us his plan. Through the entire story of the Bible, he said, I am making a covenant with you. And this covenant is this. I will move you from here to there. And this is how I'm going to do it. So you must listen and you must take this uh, seriously. Because when I make a covenant, I don't break it. Which brings us to our first point. God's work must be done in covenant with God. His way, in his power, by his design, so that he can move you to a place that only he can protect you from his presence. We are not to do life far away from God. We are to do life side by side with the Lord as he is prescriptive. Not something I want. If, I, if it was me and God showed up behind this stained glass right here and started talking, I would probably hit the deck loose like you guys. But then the Lord would go, Joey, that's enough of that. We got to eventually get off the ground and start doing life together. And that's what we're talking about. So this is the shape of life in heaven. We are being prepared for that place. And so we must apply everything that God prescribes to move us from point A to point B. So let's hear from God and listen how he's going to prepare us for that beautiful moment. Look at verse one. We're gonna go back to verse one in, in Exodus 25. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to take a contribution from me. From everyone whose heart moves him, you shall take my contribution. So this is what the Lord is saying in verse one and two. I want to build a place so you and I can meet. Just think of how terrifying that is. He, the, the, the loud voice and the trumpet and the lightning and everything that's happened up on the mountain wants to move down here and meet with us. So we got to be ready. So he's like, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take out of the blessing that I have given you. But look how he says it. I want you to take up a contribution. Another way of saying it is a donation. Can you imagine the Lord meeting with you? I would like a donation from you. Oh my gosh, how much? Right? That's what it is. And he says, and I want you to take it out of what though? Out of your heart. I don't want you to come in there and go, well, I, he wants 10%. 
or I, I don't want you to go and look at all your stuff and go, I got all this gold. So you guys remember just a recap on their way out of leaving Egypt. God had the Egyptians give all of Israel their wealth on the way. Just go, take it and go. But now they're hauling all of this gold and silver and jewels and everything through the desert. For what reason? For this reason. For this moment. And so the first lesson is, is to say, before we can build a house of worship, we need to have a heart of worship. So I need you to have a heart of worship before you can learn how to worship. And so what he's saying is, I want to give you a test. You want to see how much you love me? You want to see how much you can bring to the altar and see how, what worship looks like? Let's do a test right now. How much are you willing to give out of your heart? Not by number, not by statistic, out of your heart. So he's testing them on their generosity. But to give out of what? What God has given them. Not mine, what God has given them. And so basically he's saying this, it's not really giving, it's bringing, isn't it? Hey, can you bring me that gold that I gave you, that I let you steward and I let you hold? Will you bring that to me so we can do a good work together? And so Israel's plunder from Egypt would go back to the power of God to do the work of the Lord. And that's this, the first lesson of worship begins with the generosity back to God. Now, this isn't about money. This is about heart. What are you willing to give the Lord out of your generosity? Isn't that amazing to think about this? The Lord has been so generous with us, and he goes, do you want to be generous with me? And that's the place. And you can see where the resources were applied. God would attack them in two different phases. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but he's going to say, give, give me the tangible resources, right? Give me the gold. Give me the silver. Give me those fine linens. Give me these special yarns. Give me all of that. And then I'm going to take among you special craftsmen that are going to weave in a new way that you've never seen all of this stuff together to make a tabernacle. Do you even know what it means to, make, to go from Egypt and make maybe, I don't know, some kind of temples for their gods and maybe for, for their Pharaoh to making a tabernacle for God? What's the difference? What is he like? What kind of furniture does he like? Is it like Ikea? Or does he like it fancy? You know, like, does he like that ornate? stuff. Well, he's about to tell them, but he's going to do it. So he's going to take their offering by the power of his Holy Spirit to set up a place for them to meet. So God supplied both, didn't he? He supplied both the resources and he supplied the power by which to do it. And so that brings us to our next point. God's work must be done by fully relying on God's generosity at every level. God's work must be done by fully relying on on God's generosity. And that's an interesting, because you would say this, there's two million people walking through the desert for what reason? Why? To build a tabernacle, to meet with the Lord, to take their eyes off of the world, to take their eyes off of the lack of the world, to take their eyes off of the dirtiness of the world, to come see the beauty of Jesus Christ. So you could see what he's doing. He's moving them in a direction. Now, look at this. Look at what he asked for, the contribution, verse three. This is the contribution which you are to take from the gold, the silver, and the bronze, violet, purple, and scarlet material. And just so you guys know, this is already a call for these people to see the Jesus Christ as he's going to be. Even though this sounds like a tabernacle, this is the exact setup of what we're looking in heaven, but we're also seeing the exact setup of royalty and priesthood. Royalty and priesthood. Look at the next part. Fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, fine leather, acacia wood, oil for lighting, balsam oil for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, which is very much priesthood, right? Onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastpiece. So this isn't arbitrary. If you were a person and you were listening, it goes, this sounds like a lot of stuff that you would give a king, and this sounds like a lot of stuff that you would supply a priest, a royal king, a royal priest. 
And so this stuff is kind of amazing because you go, this level, what I gave you, you didn't realize it at the time, but what you have in your hand could be used in one of two ways. It could serve you or it could serve me. Would you stop and pause and think about that? What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your time? What do you have in your talent? What do you have that could be amazing either serving you or serving the most high? And then I want you to stop and think about this. How would it serve the most high more in his hands? I'm going to get into that. So the stuff that they're hauling through the desert wasn't so that they could be rich. Because if you think about it, where are they going to spend this? So around the desert, for what reason? And I'm going to show you the plan. So we're going to put this up on the screen so you guys can see. This is a picture of the, the, the peninsula that they would wander for 40 years. Think about that. If you look at that, it's actually not a bad walk along the coastline up to Israel, right? Why don't we just do that? Because they had to learn a lesson. What was that lesson? You used to be a people of Egypt. You used to be a people of the world. And if you lived there, you would look at it and you would see there was the haves and the have-nots. And then you would judge what God said, this is how much I love you. I give Pharaoh all the gold and you get to be slaves. That's how much I love you. And the Lord's like, no, no, no. That is not what I want you to learn out of the life lessons that I give. I want you to see that there is a generous God that is going to give to you mightily. And he will give out of you. And you know what? If I give you gold and I give you silver, that's not going to save you. It's nice, right? Jet skis are nice, right? It's hard to be upset on a jet ski, people say. Very hard to cry on a jet ski. It's so much fun. But that's not why the Lord brought us here. He said, what's going to save you is what I'm going to build in connection to you. So I want you to see the next slide. What's actually happening here in the desert is this, is you were rescued from sin, but really you know what you were redeemed from? A life of selfishness, a life where you were the center, a life where everything was made or broken by how you felt. And so when I rescued you, I had to pull you out into the next step, which is the desert, to strip you away, to recalibrate you so that you could do what? Fully rely on the Lord and see God for what he is as a person that is lifting you out of the sin and selfishness of this world, but you have old habits, you have old conditioning. You have muscle memory. These are things that kind of bring you temporary happiness. And you'll go back to it. And the Lord's like, I, I got to get you to a place where you just have so much lack sometimes in some ways in different, in different facets of your life so that you go, you know what? This thing no longer makes sense. In this capacity, as I'm serving God and as I'm following God, this thing is no longer serving me. And God's going, duh, I'm the only thing. I'm the center I'm what sustained you forever, here on earth and in heaven. Which brings us into the final step, moving into the promised land, so that you could have an appetite and a desire for the full promises and will of God. Just think about this. Who's excited about every time the Lord says give? Or go talk to that person across from the parking lot. I know it's hot. I know the conversation's going to be awkward, but would you go for me? Well, uh, that's tough, Lord. Maybe if it was 70 degrees outside, I would go do it. Or maybe if they didn't have so many groceries, you know, whatever it is, whatever. But the Lord is going to strip out of you the you that is not beneficial for the you that is for eternity. The you that is here now. And so you have to ask yourself, is the Lord calibrating me on my way? Are my appetites fully for him? Is my desire fully for him? Am I super excited about everything? And if the answer is no, which I can even say and stand before you, can I just be honest and open and real? I'm not always excited about every single thing that Jesus says, but I always find it good. And I always find it useful. And I always find it, in the end, the fruit eternal. And that's what the Lord's doing. He's doing this. I want you to know the Lord would speak to, these, to the people this way and go, this is the beginning of worship. 
I need you to let go of the world and start being generous with the God that's been generous with you. And so this is why God would so poignantly say in the book of Isaiah this way, Isaiah 43, 19, he'd say, see, I'm doing a new thing in you. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Let me explain why this Bible verse is so important to what we're talking about right now. God is moving the people out of Egypt and into land. And what did they, what did they complain about the whole time? Everything but what was spiritual. I'm thirsty. It's been like three minutes. You know, like, can you just, I'll get you water. Do you just see what I did to the Egyptians? I can bring you water. I'm hungry. I don't want manna anymore. Do you have any quail? Oh, i make you some quail. It was all physical, right? It was all, will you meet my physical needs? What have you done for me lately, God? But what they didn't see is they didn't look through the blessings to see what God was doing more. The God that was quiet, the God that was not meeting with them, the God that left them in slavery has now lifted them up and moved them and been their protector and been their provision and provided everything they've ever needed. And on top of that, he is spending time with them even though they're griping, even though they're complaining, even though in a couple chapters they're going to take all this gold and make a golden calf, knowing full well that they would be that rebellious person a couple chapters later, he still wants to be with them because they are not ready to enter into the promised land because their appetites and their desires have not been fully formed to spend eternity face-to-face with God. And so he's saying, I need you to stop looking at the physical and I need you to look through the physical and see what the supernatural is doing. Stop stop aiming so low to natural, go up to the supernatural and see it. It's not a rock. It's the water of God flowing. It is not an end. It's a place where I'm preparing you and, and making you ready and making you eternal, but not on the outside, but on the inside. If you guys can, let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you guys can turn with me, we're going to, do a little bit of workout for our thumbs tonight. It's a good sound, isn't it? Bible page is turning. I got this thick Bible. Second Corinthians. Guys, you guys are going to beat me. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 6 through 11. This is why God would speak to his people this way. Remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, because that's not really good, is it? That's just you fulfilling a task. No, I, wanna, I want it to be heart to heart. God's shown his heart on the cross, right? God has shown his heart to you. From heart to heart, what are you willing to give? For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all, time, all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So remember, we have to do it in his covenant. We have to do it in his generosity. We cannot do his work any other way. On brand. Look at it continues. It says, as they said, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your 
righteousness. I'm going to stop there real quick so you can understand what the Lord is saying in the New Testament as well. I want you to understand I am a king and I am generous. I have asked you to do great things. I will give you seed for those great things. And once you take that seed and you plant it and a harvest comes in, the harvest won't be more seed or or more money or more resources. The harvest will be something beyond what you can imagine. Imagine if you went on a mission trip and you could invest $10 into a Bible translation you guys could see the value of how a Bible that somebody could, nobody could read in that country now to the Bible that somebody could read, how that could change the course of a nation. A harvest of righteousness. I want you to look at this, I want you to look at the natural and I want you to look through it and see what I can do in the supernatural. But what I want you to do is enter into a culture of generosity. I don't want you to sow sparingly because if you sow sparingly, that means you don't trust me to give you on the back end. I'm going to give you more seed. What does it say here? I will give the uh, verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply in the inc- and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Let me ask you this right now. Can you out-imagine God? When he says, I will enlarge your harvest, can you even think that you could scratch the floor, let alone the ceiling of what God can do with you in the supernatural by his power? That's what I'm talking about right here. That's what the Bible is saying. I need you to look through it. And so what God is saying also too is God is going to elevate all the work that he does through us so that we see his glory. And what is his glory? He is a generous God. But I'm not worthy, I know. I sent my son Jesus. But I'm not even good with resources, I know. I'll teach you that too. I'm not even great with faith. I'll be the author and the perfecter of your faith. I don't remember Bible verses. There's a Bible verse for that. The Holy Spirit will help commit that, that verse to your memory. Everything that you could need from God, God, I need seed, God. You want me to plant harvest? I'll give seed to the sower. Will you sow? Every single thing that you could need is from God, for God, and by God, and he is not holding back. He is not holding back. So God's work elevates us to see God's glory. Why? Because we are in the middle of doing the work and meeting him in his work. This is not a king who has won us over by threats. This is a king that has won us over by his generosity. Just think about that. I came to the Lord with a selfish, selfish heart, wanting so much for me. And a greedy, greedy soul, believe me. And the Lord showed me charity. He showed me mercy. He showed me kindness and compassion. And he flooded me with so much of it, he didn't stop until I wanted to be like him. And I abandoned all that. So the king is a king of generosity, but you cannot enter into that kingdom until you realize that you were saved by that generosity. He wants you to become an instrument of that blessing. Just stop and think about that. He's not just happy with your salvation. He wants you to be a conduit of his blessing and flowing of his kindness and compassion and generosity through you. So the world could look and you go, I can just not, I see the work of the Lord coming through you. What is it? The generosity that is in me, it's overflowing. Now I want to be a part of that. The world stands in awe of that. They're inspired by that. And so when we submit to the Lord, which is already his, what are we saying? This isn't that important. The giver is. The gift isn't important, the giver is. The kingdom, the castles aren't important, the king is. So we are saying to the king, your kingdom is nothing, you are worth more than all of it. I would say this, the king has said you are worth something too because he left that kingdom to come visit with you in your rebellion, in your sin, then go up on a cross, take your shame, die for you, and then lift you up to heavenly places. Has he shown his generosity? 
And so we want to say this, and this is an amazing thing. Imagine what we were saying before. It's amazing to say that we can bless the Lord, right? After all that he's done for us, after all the goodness and kindness he's shown us, that we could bless the Lord. Our obedient worship is where our faith leaps from our heart and into the hands of God. It's no longer a theory. When God blesses you and you take that blessing and you bless the Lord back, and that can look in multiple ways. That could be here at church. That could be out in the community. But when you bless when the Lord asks you to bless, or if the Lord, you bless him back, right? When he says, would you come back into my storehouse and feed back into it and plant seed so we could grow a righteous harvest together? You know what he's doing is I want to see your heart expand a little bit more because when you were in the world, your heart was like this, gripping on things. And he goes, when I put blessings, your heart got a little bit bigger. And then your heart got a little bit bigger. Why? Because you were allowing the blessings to flow through you. And you were no longer holding you go, because my God is a giver. My God is good. And the generosity is the generosity of his kingdom comes from his heart and I want a heart like his. And so what we can do is when we can not just talk about being generous, when we finally give it, we are saying, you know what? My faith I put in your hands. I'm gonna show you this, this uh, on the screen so you can kind of understand it. This is something I did for myself. What happens when I bring my offering to God? So this little blue dot is your offering. And it could be anything. It could be a dollar, it could be time, it could be talent. It could be a million dollars. It could be anything, whatever you have for the Lord, whatever you have for the Lord. And then you go like this. I'm going to take my, my little offering and I'm going to give it, and I'm going to see it this way. It's not just a dollar. It's not just my time. It's not just my talent. It's wrapped in the supernatural. It's wrapped in the mighty presence of God. Why? Because where my obedience connects with God is that's where my faith leaps into his hands. And so I'm going to do this. I'm going to take my, put the next slide up. I'm going to take my little offering and I'm going to put it in God's hand because I know that every single thing that I do is touched by him when I do it in obedience, when I do it in his power, when I do it in his working. So it might just be a dollar, but in his hands, is it not so much more? It's more than that. It's where we connect. It's tabernacle. It's the dwelling of God. It's the place where we let him have rulership. It's where we let him know that he is worth more than anything in physical in this world. We let him know that he is the king and he can have his way. And how I know he can have his way is because he's been so kind and generous, you can have all of me. You can do more with my life than I could ever do. You could do more with my money than I could ever do. And I know because I've seen it. I've made mistakes. I've made failures. I've had all kinds of dead ends, but in God's hands, I have seen the glory of God. I've seen brothers and sisters rescued from hell, right? I've seen hungry people go with food and have hope because I was able to sit down and read a scripture with them. Why? Because I took my tiny little offering, I put it in God's hands, and he opened the doors that I could not. And that brings us to this next part, Isaiah 66, verse 2. This is the Lord speaking. For my hand made all these things. So all these things came into being, declares the Lord, but I will look to this one, at the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Translation, I already made everything. Everything you're holding on to is my stuff. I love that. But if it is his stuff, and I truly see it that way, then I can see that he gave it to me for a reason. He gave it to me one of two reasons. Either to, to bless him or bless his kingdom. If it's to bless me, then I failed. Because it's not my, it's not mine to just take and his stuff and run and go to Chuck E. Cheese and spend it all. Although that's really awesome, by the way. There is a time and a place for that. But it's not a place for me to worship myself. It's his. All of this. Everything. It's all his. So what am I going to do with his stuff? I'm going to worship the Lord. 
That's why it brings us back to this. Remember this? Our obedient worship is where our faith leaps from our heart and into the hands of God. Our obedient worship, I know I've had this note before, but I feel like it's important to say after we've seen everything, my obedient worship is where I, I actually made the rubber meet the road. Yes, I believe you're God. Yes, I believe this is all your stuff. Yes, I really want a new bass boat. But no, you told me to give this to the missions. You told me to bless Ukraine. You told me to take that neighbor who hasn't eaten in three days out to eat. In your hands, it's mighty. In my hands, it's not much. This is why I love this. It's very reminiscent of David's life when he was pondering the generosity of God. He was taking up a collection or an offering uh, for his son Solomon to build the temple. And uh, I want you to hear David's prayer as he was uh, building uh, build, or doing this time of, uh, of calling everybody in. Give your offering. Bring your offerings to the Lord. And we're going to build a temple in Solomon's lifetime. Look what it says in First Chronicles on the screen 29. He says, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We're only giving your stuff back to you. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as, we were, as were our ancestors. Our days on the earth are like a shadow without hope. But Lord God, all this abundance that we have provided for building your temple and for your holy name comes from your hand and it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with the integrity. That's a verse, isn't it? You've tested my heart and I know you're pleased. I can't say that that's been true of me every day. But I'm glad to say that it is a new lesson that I'm learning, right? All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. It's really interesting because what David is really saying is, you know, really what all we are apart from you is just dust and water, clay. But filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we are so much more. And so I'm going to say this, in this time, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit, but he's saying, if I could grip and clamp down on the presence of God, I'll give you everything I have. If you just give me you, Lord, I'll give you everything I have because you are worthy. And this, all of this is your stuff anyways. It's nothing without you. What is the kingdom without the king? And so what he's saying is, let me bring my time. Let me bring my talent. Let me bring my resources. Let me bring everything I am and put it in your hands so that everything that I do, I can say with the utmost joy that it is righteous. Can you imagine every part of you, you could go to bed at night and just with a smile on your face, ah, I'm just so joyful. Everything about me is righteous. It's all God's. And that's how you know you can trust it. I love thinking about this moment too because it's always interesting to me. When we were in uh, uh, elementary school, I always think about this time when like the art teacher was like, hey, can you bring in all your macaroni and bring in all your paper towel tubes? And you know, you're like in first or second grade and you're like, I don't know what the heck that is, but okay. You want, you're an art teacher. You're always doing wild stuff. Art teachers are always crazy anyways, right? You know, there was come with these weird crafts. And, and so you're like, you do it, and then you, you come in, and then she's like, okay, we're going to take these pipe brushes, and we're going to make some flowers, and then the, 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 the paper towel tube is going to be a vase. And you put it in there, and you're like, okay, okay, I'm starting to see it come together. I'm starting to see shape. And you're like, what are you going to do with the macaroni, huh? You magician, you Houdini, what are you going to do with this? And they're like, we're going to run a string through it, and then we're going to color it, and we're going to make a necklace. And you're like, I have, still have no idea why we're doing it, but it's really pretty. And so then you go home 
And you come home and then you go, first thing you need to do as soon as you see your mom is you need to run up to your mom and give it to her and tell mommy, I made this for you. I love you. And so you're just like four, you're like, as I said, second grade, you're like eight years old. You're like, okay. And you just run home and like, mommy, I made this for you. And she, all she's doing is I saw my mom. She's holding this paper towel tube. It's her paper towel tube. She gave it to me. I gave it back to her. All I did was put some stuff on it and she's crying in the hallway. And I'm like, mom, can we go inside? I'm hungry. I want dinner. She's like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, oh, you think that's awesome? Macaroni necklace, lady. Your macaroni, back on you. And you just think about like, it has nothing to do with the material. It has nothing to do with the content. It has everything to do with the with the heart. And even whether we understand it or not, the lesson is deeply learned. It all came for you, but if I could just bless you back, because you do so much for me, Lord. You, you, you provide everything, the breath in my lungs, the gifts that I have, the time, the presence, the fact that you still want to talk to me after everything I've ever done to you. I trust you completely because all you want to do is make me more like you, generous a generous person who is a, king, who is a servant of the generous king and a kingdom made of generosity. And God challenges us on this fact, does he not? Look at this verse, Psalm 34, 8. It's on the screen. Listen to God's challenge. I love when God challenges you. You want to challenge me on this? You want to see how good I am on this? Taste and see how good the Lord is. Or look at this. Taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. The other word is to completely relax in him. You know, he's going to protect you. He's going to provide food. If it's raining, he's going to put shelter over your head. He's doing it all. That refuge is complete and total taken care of. Blessed is the one who trusts God completely. But I love how the Lord does it. You don't believe me? Try me. Try me in my generosity. Try me in my love. Try me. Let's see, let's see if we can jump into the ocean of my love and see if we hit the bottom. Let's go do it. And you're like, I can't. And you only say that if you know him. Because if you've tried to reach the bottom, if you try to swim out in God's love, you realize it's infinite. But if you don't know him, you'll stand on the shore and miss the whole ocean. And that's why I say his plans are good for me. Once you know him, you know that his plans are good for me. So if he tells you to give, you give. If he tells you to bring, you bring. Why? Because you know that on the other side of that, there's going to be more generosity. And so I have to ask you this question, and we, we started with this, we're going to end this. Do you trust God to prepare you for his presence? Do you trust him? And that means trust him at his word, not like maybe today, maybe tomorrow. No, I, I like this, I don't like that. No, no, you don't understand. You're not ready. I need to make you ready for the king. And so we're going to take a time, and we're going to reflect, and we're going to pray here. But I want to ask you this do you see what God can make you in his hands? All that you have, all that you are. Can you imagine like he imagines when he daydreams and thinks about your life with his power completely wrapped around everything you are, everything you own, everybody you know, your circle of influence. When he sees that and he's daydreaming, what is he seeing? Have we stopped and asked him? Have we stopped and talked to him about that? The generosity that he would come to your life and shape it to look like heaven. That's amazing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we praise you that you're here, that we didn't come to a church service. We came to the presence of God. You wanted to dwell with us. You wanted to tabernacle with us. 
You wanted to spend time with us, but you asked us to do one thing, to come, sit, listen, and let you guide us. We have nothing to bring. We have no leadership. We can only bring our obedience. There's nothing else that we can bring to you. Lord, let us lay down our life. Let us lay our small offering in your hands and let you do what only you can do. Make it something more. Make it something worthy of heaven. Make it something, make this life worthy of you. But we can only do it by you. And we can only do it with you. And so Lord, I pray right now that everybody here can relax, rest, and trust in your generosity. In Jesus' holy name, amen.